The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden and Deputy Leader Angela Rayner will be at the dispatch box, of course, for Prime Minister's questions. Rishi Sunak will miss it for a second week in a row. He flies back from the NATO summit tonight, Lizzie. Yeah, setting the tone for Prime Minister's questions, we had the Bank of England's financial stability report this morning. It warned that some 4 million households are going to face a sharp increase in mortgage costs. The average borrower is going to pay an almost £3,000 a year more. And Niraj Shah, one of our in-house economists here at Bloomberg Economics, has warned that Britain's housing market correction has further to run. I'm sure that Keir Starmer, not Keir Starmer, I should say, it's Angela Rayner, mm. is going to be bringing this up. I'm sure that she's going to use the words, the Tory mortgage penalty. Yes, absolutely. Meanwhile, Thames Water, the issues here aren't going away. You've got off and a number of uh, other executives speaking to MPs today. There are still significant issues remaining at Thames Water. This, according to uh, Ofwat CEO David Black, uh, that's despite the £750 million equity injection from shareholders. Again, uh, the water issues are surely going to be front and centre here uh, with uh, MPs on the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Committee having uh, given that grilling this morning. But of course, the issues at Thames Water all come back to inflation. It is all about its massive debt pile. Inflation, Rishi Sunak's number one priority to halve it by the end of the year. But that doesn't look like it's going well. Of course, we had the latest jobs data this week as well from the Office for National Statistics showing, yes, unemployment is rising. Not good news for the government. Usually that would be relief for the Bank of England. But at the same time, we also saw a growth in wage Uh, speeding up in wage growth uh, Mm. which is beyond economists expectations we're at a level a pace that the Bank of England governor himself in Mansion House this week uh, said is fueling persistent inflation so not good news for that top priority of the Prime Ministers. No and uh, to go back to the water issue remember that uh, Offworth have also said that the regulator is still ready to deploy this special administrative regime basically a form of nationalisation for Thames Water. So it's not as if this issue that is surely likely to get worse as we are going into what's expected to be a very hot summer, the possibility of more droughts, perhaps more uh, households will be cut off from their water supplies as they have been, um, as they have done in recent months. So that issue, again, the domestic issue, the cost of living crisis, whether you can get access to the basics, you know, pay your mortgage, get, get water, running water coming into your home. Yeah, an issue that affects everybody. But of course, it's not just about 
about Thames Water's debt and your uh, bills, the impact on those. It's also the sewage issue that's mm. been uh, ooh, swirling around, if I should use that verb. Uh, but really, this is an issue that's been affecting everybody. The environmental aspect perhaps could be mentioned as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, of course, after PMQs, we're going to bring in Bloomberg's UK government reporter, Joe Mays, who'll be with us, because the other issue to layer into all of this is public sector pay. Is the government going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, listen to the independent pay review bozzies? Uh, are they going to go ahead with the rise that is recommended from them? Or will inflation and the pressures on government finance mean that they have to go another route? We're going to be speaking to Joe Mays about that. Well, let's get to the Deputy Prime Labour Limit Leader, Angela Rayner. I know you're a keen historian, so I looked up the last time a Prime Minister missed two sessions in a row with other engagements, which was March 1996. And I'm very proud to be filling the boots of Lord John Prescott, but I think it's safe to say he's no Hessel time, Mr Speaker. Why is it, John Prescott asked, that in Tory Britain, tens of thousands of families are facing repossession, negative equity and homelessness. And can he tell us, 27 years later, why I'm having to ask the same question? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, clearly the right honourable lady did not listen to my previous comments. The Prime Minister is at NATO. Of course, that wouldn't be a problem if she'd had her way. Her old boss wanted to abandon Ukraine, abolish the army and withdraw from NATO, and he certainly wouldn't be going to any summit, Mr Speaker. And, it, and, when, it, and when, it comes, when it comes to house building, I will take no lectures from the party opposite on home ownership. My parents would not have been able to buy their own home if it were not for Margaret Thatcher and the reforms introduced by her government. And this government is building on those with record house building. Mr Speaker, I think he's taking lessons from the former Prime Minister on telling the facts. The last, the last Labour government worked hard to dramatically reduce the number of children in temporary accommodation. But under the Tories, the number of homeless children has risen by 75%. I'm proud of our record on tackling child poverty. Does the right honourable gentleman feel ashamed of his? Deputy Prime Minister. I'll tell you what this government has done. We've lifted 400,000 children out of child poverty. We have introduced the national living wage, something the party opposite totally failed to do, and increased, increased the national living wage by the largest amount ever, meaning £1,800 for working people and cutting their taxes by doubling the personal allowance. That is the surest way to ensure we lift people out of poverty and would never have happened with the party opposite. Angela Rayner. Mr Speaker, it's like the ghost of Prime Minister Past is still here. And I tell the right honourable gentleman that he should be careful about the stats he used because the Children's Commissioner warned the other Prime Minister about peddling false narrative on child poverty around those figures. The truth is, 
Rising bills and soaring mortgages and plummeting real wages are pushing more and more families to the brink. Those already struggling are being hit hardest by the Tory mortgage bombshell and rising food costs. So can he tell us how many primary school children have been pushed into poverty since his government took power? Deputy Prime Minister. I would say to the Right Honourable Lady, it is this party, not the party opposite, which extended free school meals to all five, six and seven-year-olds, something the party opposite failed to do, and it sits alongside many measures we are taking to help people with the cost of living. We are paying half of families' energy bills last winter, winter funded by our 75% windfall tax, freezing fuel duty helping families with childcare and delivering on our pledge to reduce the debt. It it may come as a surprise to the Right Honourable Lady, but balancing the books means more than working out how many more millions to take from her union paymasters. Mr Speaker, once again, he talks about balancing the books. His party crashed the economy. And he seems to be... He seems to be completely oblivious to what it's like for working people in this country at the moment. New research out today shows that 400,000 more primary school-aged children are growing up in poverty since his government came to office. Why does he think that is? Deputy Prime Minister. I will take absolutely no lectures whatsoever from the party opposite about how we help children in the most need. It is record investment from this government in education, £2 billion more this year, £2 billion next year, which is giving those very children the best possible start in life, ensuring that we have the highest reading standards in the Western world. And I have to say to the, I have to say to the Honourable Lady, listen, her, her leader says he hates tree huggers. They seem very keen on hugging that ma- magic money tree. Mr Speaker, he doesn't even acknowledge it, let alone explain why child poverty is rising. What hope has he got of solving it? So let me try a simpler question for him. How many kids don't have a permanent address today compared to when Labour left office in 2010? Deputy Prime Minister. We can exchange all these numbers across the dispatch box. Mr Speaker, these are the numbers that matter. There are 1.7 million fewer people in absolute poverty under this government. 400,000 fewer children, 200,000 fewer pensioners and 1 million fewer people of working age because the single best route out of poverty is a job and record numbers of people, four million more people under this government have got a job. That is the difference between this party and the party opposite, who always leave office with unemployment higher. Angela Rayner. 
Mr Speaker, what matters is what people feel every single day at the moment who are going to work and can't afford their mortgage, can't afford their rent and can't afford their bills because of this Conservative Government. There are 55,000 more children without a permanent address today compared to when they took office 13 years ago. We've gone from a Labour cabinet focused on tackling child poverty to Tory ministers who won't even admit the problem. Just like the question time in March 1996, they can only offer excuses and not answers. Lord John Prescott said to Lord Michael Hesitine that day, how can the right honourable gentleman be so complacent in the face of sheer misery created by his government's policies? 27 years on, why are we asking the exact same thing? There will be more if we carry on. Come on, Deputy well, Mr. Speaker. I know there's a reshuffle coming up on the other side, but this audition for, for John Prescott's old job is just getting a little bit hackneyed. It is this government that has lifted 400,000 children out of poverty. The party opposite, I hear the right lady claiming to be the party of working people, but under their policies, people can't even get to work. They support Just Stop Oil protesters blocking our roads. They support their union paymasters stopping our trains. And of course, they support the hated ULEZ stopping cars across our capital. While Conservatives get Britain moving, Labour are standing in everyone's way. That was the battle of the deputies, the Deputy Labour leader Angela Rayner and the Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowd. And it's funny that he referred to it as an audition for her because that was pure theatre, Caroline. An arc back to the Heseltine line, pauses for the laughs. Rayner really landing blows, it has to be said. She caught him out on the numbers. Yeah, there's nothing funny about the content, though. She went for uh, the Deputy Prime Minister on the issue of child poverty, of how many fewer children um, have a permanent address. She um, was much clearer, I think, on the questions in this Prime Minister's questions than perhaps in in former outings um, on the issue around child poverty. Uh, I think the most awkward moment for Oliver Dowden was when he tried to dismiss that attack line as all these numbers. I think that if you are concerned about uh, welfare, child poverty and the issues facing households in Britain, that that may not be a, a... uh, you know, a particularly strong retort from the Conservatives. When you think that those numbers are people. Yes. Exactly. And children in particular, I think. Um, no, Rayner talked about how the Conservatives have crashed the economy. I thought actually she made a very good point, and I think one that will land with, with voters, the return to the um, era of 1997, 1996 and 1997, um, at also a point of significant uh, political crisis for the Conservatives, you know, the, the era of sheer misery. You know, I think that that is the sort of problem 
problematic line for the Conservatives right now that things are very difficult economically. But let's look at the other side. So yes. things that Oliver Dowden referred to that the government has been doing that have yes. been expensive. For example, freezing fuel duty, extending yes. childcare. He talks about uh, extending free school meals. These are the things that they have done that have cost. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, raising the national living wage and, and yeah, the defence for the Conservative Party um, also sort of laid out. And again and again, this idea that the Conservatives would take no lectures from the party opposite. That was Oliver Dowd. Well, let's talk to someone now who's an expert on all these things. He's clued into all the whispering in the corridors of power. It's Bloomberg UK government reporter Joe Mays. Now, Joe, the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, has told ministers if they want to fund public sector worker pay rises above 3.5%, it's going to have to come out of their department's own budgets. It's obviously come about because the independent groups that look at workers' pay are saying salaries should be going up by roughly 6%. So the Chancellor and the Prime Minister are expected to decide their strategy on this when he gets back from NATO. The last time we heard about pay review bodies was at the height of the public row between the unions and the government. Why are they back in the news? Well, we're just at another phase where a decision has to be made about pay, in this case for police officers, teachers, nurses, and once again the government has to decide how are they going to approach it. Are they going to let these groups have, say, 6% pay rises as going to be recommended by the public uh, sector pay review bodies? And, and how, do, uh, how does that get paid for? As you say, will it be through cuts from budgets? And that's what's Chancellor is likely to say, and it won't come from borrowing, as Hunt has again repeatedly said, because they think that will stoke inflation. So yes, it's a uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, is there any way that the government decides to ignore the pay review bodies? There's a chance that. Prime Minister Richard Sunak might signal them and he might say, I'm sorry, but 6% is too much and it has to be less than that because otherwise you would stoke inflation. And we know we saw earnings data come in this week that was kind of pretty hot, you know, likely to uh, cause worry in government that the inflation target will not be hit. So, yes, that could be the case. And that's why it's a big, big decision for Richard Sunak to make today. Now, we've heard um, the Prime Minister confirming what the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, said, that there won't be tax cuts before the election. This is something that he said at the NATO summit in Lithuania. Is there any chance that this narrative could go as far as talking about tax rises to weigh on inflation, given it's their top priority to halve inflation by the end of the year? You've got this lag in monetary transmission. I think it's such an interesting economic point to make, which is that tax rises could have that effect of taking money out of the economy and and bringing pressure down on prices. But politically, I think it's just completely a no-go. I mean, Rishi Sunak would not be able to sell that to his Conservative Party and his MPs. We're going to raise taxes at this time. There would be bedlam. They would not would not, would not allow that. Um, but it, like you say, it's a fanta- uh, fascinating economic strategy mm. you could deploy, but I can't see it happening. No, absolutely. Even though the IMF, for example, and others have, have pointed to this idea that, you know, far from talking about tax uh, cuts, actually the UK should be thinking about increasing taxes, although, as you say, probably not very popular, I imagine. Growing chorus. We had the ex-BOE Kate Barker yes. saying it. We had HSBC's uh, Steve. Stephen Major. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's a very big voice when it comes to the bond markets in the UK and, and globally also. Uh, look, the other um, information, though, that we've had out, the Bank of England Stability Review, this highlighted again all of the different constituent parts of the UK economy that are feeling the pain from rising interest rates. They sort of said what we thought they would say, which is, you know, the economy is, you know, dealing with this, coping with it. But it did sort of highlight that um, 
things are not being felt equally in terms of the mortgage pain and, and so on. And that's quite difficult politically also for this government, isn't it? Yes, and it just shows why inflation is such a problem in that you just don't really have very effective mechanisms to spread the pain across the economy to bring it down. Like you say, you have to use the interest rate when you're when you're the, when you're the central bank, and that does hit mortgage holders. But what about the rest of society who might not necessarily hold mortgages? You mentioned tax rises. That's how you could perhaps hit the rich, but as we just said, politically unfeasible. So, yes, you can see why uh, this inflation problem is such a nightmare for both politicians and and the central bankers. Yeah, of course, it's not just hitting the rich. We were talking about how stealth taxes have hit the rich. But it's isolating people who have already paid off their homes. Mortgage borrowers are the ones who are really getting hit. As I say, in this Bank of England's financial stability report, we learn that uh, the average home owner is going to have a £3,000 a year penalty, or as Angela Rayner put it, the Tory mortgage bombshell. Do you think that message is cutting through? I think it's an effective line from Labour, and I can see why they keep using it, because I think in the minds of the electorate, they do draw a link between what happened under Liz Truss and the pain they're feeling now, even if there are other factors driving inflation, which is causing interest rates to rise, which is leading to those uh, higher higher mortgage rates. I think it is effective. And the, the fact that Labour keep using it, for me, shows that they know it's effective. And I think voters bring it up on the doorstep. It's language that's sticking, uh, and that, that's dangerous for the Conservatives. Yeah. OK. Joe, thank you so much for your time and for being with us uh, on Bloomberg Radio. So so Bloomberg's UK government reporter, Joe Mays, they're just taking us through, yes, the situation when it comes to inflation and taxes in the UK. Now, on yesterday's podcast, we talked about the latest jobs data mm. on the labour market in the UK. One of the big problems was the shortage of skilled workers. And our next guest, Ewan Blair, thinks the big answer is to encourage apprenticeships as a way of helping young people get the skills they need to excel. He runs a billion pound education tech startup. It's called Multiverse. It uses AI to match apprentices with the likes of Google and Netaporte. So it's something of a barometer for the professional jobs market. He also happens to be (laughs) the son of Tony Blair, the former British Prime Minister. So we asked him if there's anything that excites him in the two major political parties' policies on education. I think the thing that excites me is that they all care about apprenticeships. In fact, this is one of the brilliant things right now for, for the opportunity that this concept has. Because you could ask the leader of any major political party and in fact you could ask nearly any member of parliament and they will all say apprenticeships are a good thing we want more of them so what that means is if we can help show how to get the delivery model right how to get them to reach more people how to get them to reach the broadest parts of society and actually geographically spread across the country then again you can use them as this tool to drive social mobility and better results for business and you've got to bring the two in tandem because Every company right now is grappling with how they get more productivity from their workforces, how they get the skills mix right, how they continue to keep and hire and onboard great talent. And apprenticeships can solve all of those things. But you've got two degrees. I do. You went to Bristol, you went to Yale, you started off in investment banking. But you also had the privilege, it has to be said, of being the son of Britain's most electorally successful living prime minister. Surely that helped you fundraising for Multiverse? Look, it's... It's obviously not an unhelpful thing. I grew up in a very privileged environment. It's made me more conscious of the fact that we have a real problem, though, if your background determines your destination. And one of the most concerning things about university and college education more generally, and we're expanding in the US, in America, your family income is a greater determinant of your career earnings than your GPA, even at an elite Ivy League university or college. So 
unless we do something to actually ensure that people have access to opportunities and distribute those more evenly, we're going to continue having very talented people who, through no fault of their own, are being locked out of access to the best jobs. So you want to achieve social mobility through apprenticeships. Your father wanted to achieve social mobility through higher education. At what point did the light bulb go off in your head where you realised his means to that same end were fundamentally flawed? Is it something that you debated around the dinner table at Downing Street? We talked about it. The thing is, there was a belief, okay, higher education can be an unlock for people in their careers. So the more people we give access to higher education, the um, more we can get people access to great jobs. It just hasn't worked out like that. The results are pretty telling. That stat I shared around free school meals, the fact is that there's also no correlation between academics and job performance. So there's actually something misguided in relying on an academic only system anyway. The fact is a one size fits all model is always gonna be inadequate for people who are having careers over 50 years who are gonna to have to constantly train and reskill. And then also we are very underweight in our formal education system, the concept of applied learning, of learning through doing. Athletes don't make their, their best breakthroughs in a classroom, they make them on the track. Right? We recently uh, revealed an ad campaign where we're showing people learning to ride a bike in a lecture hall and no surprise when they fall off that bike because there are some things that you learn better through doing. And we're seeing now uh, an actual increased focus from employers on practical applied learning, which is a good move. So that was Ewan Blair, CEO of Multiverse. Yeah, fascinating interview. Amazing. He came into the studio here. So uh, it was a very, very interesting discussion. But on his point about increasing social mobility, surely we all want this. But actually, is the apprenticeship scheme, certainly the degree apprenticeship scheme, actually delivering that here in the UK? question marks about it whether actually it's middle class um, kids moving into the apprenticeships more I mean of course cost of living crisis middle class parents see you know not having to pay the fees uh, of, of university and then being able to help their kid into a job middle class parents will go anywhere with their pointy elbows but Caroline that's exactly <laughs> what you want them to do isn't it you want the stigma to be if there is if that's what you'd call it removed from apprenticeships so that there isn't this two-tier system where you need to have a degree to get the plum job getting rid of the grad schemes what he wants to do yeah maybe so uh, but not I suppose if they are hogged as some of the reporting around it uh, goes um, by only a certain group um, having said that business don't love the apprenticeship levy either I was speaking to the MNS chairman uh, he really doesn't like the tax you know uh, on the big employers for delivering all of this yes but it's something uh, that as Ewan Blair said there at least apprenticeships are something that both parties have adopted yeah it's something that doesn't seem to be even a question anymore no absolutely well listen thanks so much for listening that's it from us for today if you like the program don't forget to subscribe give it five stars so that other people can find it on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen this episode was produced by james wilcock and our audio engineer was marufa hussein i'm lizzie burden i'm caroline hepkett we'll be back with more tomorrow this is bloomberg bloomberg uk politics listen weekdays at noon on dab digital radio in london The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.